as we turn uh, to our scripture, we've, we're spending some time in Genesis. We'll be kind of over the summer going in and out of the Genesis stories. But the lectionary, you, you may remember last week we were in Genesis 1 with the creation story. And the lectionary jumps us 18 chapters forward, well into the story of Abraham and Sarah. So you'll remember that, that in between we have the stories of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and the Tower and Noah and the Tower of Babel, um, all these stories that are um, foundational stories, uh, stories about the way that we, we, we tell ourselves of how we came to be and how we came to be a community. And then we enter into the story of Abraham and of Sarah and of Isaac, um, as Abraham and Sarah are called to go to a land that they have never seen. And we reach them at the point where they have settled there. Uh, they have been waiting on God's promises. Uh, and we meet them at uh, the doorstep as three strangers arrive. And Ralph will read the scripture from Genesis 18. This is from Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. God appeared to Abram, uh, Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since I have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will truly return to you in, true, in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tree entrance, at the uh, tent entrance behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for God? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. 
He said, oh yes, you did laugh. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, your love for us is bigger and broader than our wildest imagining. In this moment, let us hear and see with you a living world, a living word that might change your world. Amen. I love that moment at the end of this morning scripture. 90-year-old Sarah is sitting in her tent and she hears someone who she doesn't recognize as God say, I'll be back next year. And Sarah, who's 90 years old, is going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs out loud. And then when God says, why did Sarah laugh? She denies it. Maybe she shouts out from the tent, I did not laugh. But then God says, oh, oh, yes, you did. Such a refreshing moment of honesty all the way around. This, this story from scripture brings us two questions to consider, both of them voiced by God in the text. Why did Sarah laugh? And is anything too wonderful for God? That first question is the easier of the two. This moment where Sarah laughs is a moment well into a long story. Maybe you remember it. Back when Abraham and Sarah were younger, they were living in a land called Ur. God comes to Abraham and calls him to leave his homeland and to immigrate to a foreign land. God doesn't say where. God just says, go to the land. I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and you will bless many. Trusting only on that promise, Abraham and Sarah pack up everything they have and they cross the desert and eventually settle in the land of Canaan. They travel from what is now modern-day Iraq to Palestine. Years and years pass, and Abraham eventually complains, God, you said you'd make me a great nation, but Sarah and I don't have a son yet. And God repeats the promises all over again. Abraham, look up at the sky. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. And the years pass, and still no child. Abraham and Sarah get desperate, and so they force one of their slave women, Hagar, into surrogacy, and Ishmael is born. But that's not what God had promised. And we'll spend some more time with Hagar next Sunday. More years pass. And God again comes to Abraham and repeats the promise and says, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And now at this point, Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is 90. And the scripture says that Abraham falls on his face laughing, saying, will a child be born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman? And yet God persists. And we come to this morning's story on a hot, dry, dusty day. Abraham is napping at the door to his tent near the Oaks of Memory, and scripture says that God appears to Abram, Abraham in the arrival of three visitors. Now in the desert, hospitality is everything. If you don't welcome the stranger in the desert, the stranger dies. So Abraham welcomes these strangers. He washes their feet while Sarah prepares a feast, a tender calf, fresh baked bread, curds, and milk, and they sit down to eat. 
Abraham waits on them. Sarah sits a little ways away in their tent. There's no indication that either Abraham or Sarah know that God is in the midst of these visitors in this desert hospitality. And just as we think this is a story about extending hospitality to strangers and to God, and it is, we find that it is also a story about God extending hospitality to us. God turns to Abraham and asks after Sarah, where's your wife, Sarah? Now, this is the first clue that they have that this, this might be more than a human visitor because Sarah has not been anywhere to be seen yet. And Abraham says, well, she's in the tent. And the visitor says, I'll return in due season and Sarah will have a child. And Sarah, worn out from this mad dash to prepare a fancy feast on a dry, dusty day, Sarah, who is 90, Sarah sits in her tent, hears this, and oh, Sarah laughs. After all these years and all these promises, Sarah laughs with every bit of her 90 years of life and wisdom and longing. Biblical scholar Valerie Bridgman puts the question this way, after all these years, why should they believe God this time? And in the story, God looks to Abraham and says, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah backtracks, no, I didn't maybe catching on to who might be talking, maybe hearing now directly in God's voice the promise that has persisted through her whole life. No, I, I didn't laugh. And God says, oh, oh yes, you did. Why did Sarah laugh? I don't think I need to answer that question for you. You can probably answer that all on your own. Carolyn Hitter Brown answers it like this. Sarah laughs at the irony of God fulfilling something she had long ago stopped hoping for. In the scripture, that question, why did Sarah laugh, needs no answer to anyone in the know. So God just keeps going on with a second question. Is there anything too wonderful for God? That's the harder question. So I've been thinking about things in the world that seem too wonderful, even after long seasons of hope. I was caught off guard this week by the Supreme Court's decision that held that transgender and gay, LGBTQIA people are protected by federal workplace anti-discrimination laws, just like everyone else. I can remember just 10 or 15 years ago when I wouldn't have thought that possible. And candidly, with this Supreme Court, I didn't have much hope for this case. After the decision, someone asked me what I thought of the court's reasoning, and I read the decision, not the 100-page dissent, but I read the decision. The decision is momentous, but the reasoning itself isn't all that remarkable. It's, it's wonderfully ordinary. The court just applied the plain language of the statute, and the court said the plain language applies when an employer treats LGBTQIA people differently on the basis of sex. They said the statute protects LGBTQIA people from workplace discrimination just like it protects everyone else. As a matter of statutory interpretation, it's not all that remarkable. The court applied the statute. That is their job. 
But as I heard more about the cases, it's not so much the justice's reasoning that is remarkable. What's remarkable is the hope and the courage of people like Amy Stevens. Amy Stevens is one of the plaintiffs, a transgender woman who brought one of the three cases that made its way to the Supreme Court. When Amy came out as trans, she wrote a letter to her coworkers and her supervisors at the funeral home where she had worked for years. She described to them how her gender wasn't reflected in the body she was born in, and she explained how she would now be Amy. She said that she expected it might be hard for them to understand. She was still working to understand it too, but she cared for and respected them, and so she wanted them to know. And two weeks later, she was fired. But Amy Stevens didn't take that as the last word. Amy Stevens persisted, and she brought this case for herself and for others like her so that they wouldn't be harmed like this. Amy Stevens helped place herself and others within the equal protection of the law, just like the Constitution promises. Now, Amy died a few weeks ago. While the, cases, while the cases were still pending, before they were decided. So she didn't get to see this day this week. But before she died, Amy Stevens wrote down some thoughts on what she'd say on the day when she knew the court would rule in her favor. And she wrote this, firing me because I'm transgender was discrimination, plain and simple. And I am glad. I'm glad the court recognized that what happened to me is wrong and illegal. I'm thankful that the court said my transgender siblings and I have a place in our laws. It made me feel safer and more included in society. Such courage and such hope. And then, just days later this week, the Supreme Court issued its decision preventing for now, and only for now, the deportation of the dreamers who have legal status under the DACA statute. These dreamers are young people who were brought to this country when they were children, many of them when they were infants. They've gone to school in the United States, gone to college. They have earned work permits and worked here. They've contributed to the economy. They are as much a part of the fabric of this society as you and I. And even so, there is a concerted effort to deport them, to send them away from their families and from the only home they have known. I watched an interview with some of the dreamers after the decision was announced, a group of young women, and they were just stunned. <laughs> they were stunned by the court's decision. Syriac Alvarez says she had prepared for every decision except a positive one. And even as they felt relief that they wouldn't be deported following the court's decision, and just imagine that, these young women thought that the Supreme Court would issue a decision and within the next week they would be deported. And even though um, that was the good news. They are very clear-eyed that this is only a temporary reprieve. The administration has said it will keep trying to deport them, but these young women say they'll continue to keep working for immigration reform, 
for dreamers, for a just and a fair immigration system. And one of them said, while they're at it, they'll continue to work in support of Black Lives Matter too, because as she said, for them, citizenship isn't the end. Citizenship is how they will continue to work for the equality and freedom of all people. Such courage and such hope. And then here we are on the weekend where so many have celebrated Juneteenth. Now I have to confess that I didn't have a full understanding of what Juneteenth is. I knew that it had something to do with emancipation, but that's all I knew. Juneteenth celebrates the day, June 19, 1865, when Union General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to inform enslaved African-Americans that the Civil War had ended and that they were free, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. It took that long for word to reach Texas and that moment marked the end of slavery. And ever since African-Americans have celebrated Juneteenth and the promises of that moment, even as racism has persisted tenaciously over the years, so many generations over so many years celebrating freedom in the face of unrelenting oppression, decade after decade, progress and persistence in the face of entrenched systemic racism on into our day as the Black Lives Matter protests of today insist for reform and change. So much courage and so much hope. In our world, right here and now, we don't have to look far to catch a glimpse of things that seem too wonderful even after long seasons of hope. This question, is anything too wonderful for God, it is not a rhetorical question, not for Sarah and not for us. As Terence Fretham points out, when God asked that question, it is a genuine question meant to move the conversation forward, meant to move Sarah and us into our future. God puts the question to Sarah, Sarah, what do you think? Is anything too wonderful for God? And friends, how we answer that question makes all the difference in how we live our lives, how we move into an uncertain future. Because if we say yes, if we say yes, there, there are some things that are just too wonderful even for God. We lock ourselves and God and our lives into the limited range of possibilities that we see and know now. We leave no scope for the imagination, not for God's, and not for ours. We say this is the world as it is. Why bother praying or working for anything more? But if we stand up and answer no, or even hold open that possibility, no, maybe there really isn't anything that is too wonderful for God. If we have the courage to do that, we open ourselves and the world with us. We open ourselves up to a broad horizon of possibility limited only, only by God's boundless love for us and for the whole world. We open ourselves to the possibility that God has the power and the will to create through and beyond our imagining. Now that's not to say that everything we want in the world will fall into place for us right now exactly as we see it should. 
Sarah knows that in her bones, and so do we. If we embrace that question as anything too wonderful for God, we acknowledge our wonder and that we don't yet see all that God sees. But we also acknowledge that God in love, God has chosen to create us free with agency to choose and to act. And somehow God working with us and in us, God is able to create a future full of good and healing and freedom and hope, a future through and beyond our imagining. Now, I've been talking this morning about the big movements of our day and of this week, but I want to be clear, this question and this promise, they are deeply personal. Now, of course, of course, for those of us who are a little more free today because of the Supreme Court's decisions and because of the protests in the street, all that is personal. These movements are personal. And the progress of this week has given us a glimmer of hope in our real everyday lives. And, and for all of us, for you and for me and for everyone else, this question and this promise carry hope for every concern that we bring to God in prayer, for the deep prayers, the deep prayers that each of us brings for the people we love most in the world for the things that are most important to us, for our very identity and our sense of worth, we pray like Sarah, and there is so much at stake. So I wanna offer two more scriptures. Psalm 139 says, God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. There are some things that are too wonderful for us to get our minds completely around, and that's okay. We are human. But that doesn't mean that those two wonderful things are any less true, and it doesn't mean that they are too wonderful for God. And the second scripture, the second scripture is a question that rises up in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Because that's what really is at issue here. After a lifetime wrestling with God, when the apostle is looking back and pouring out all that he has come to know of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, he asks his version of, is anything too wonderful for God? He asks, is there anything that can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ? And Paul's answer is clear, no. No, there is nothing. Nothing that can separate us from God, not death, not life, not the present or the future or the past, not any power, not height, not breadth, not depth. There's not anything in all creation that can separate us from God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Sarah laughs because God is doing something that she had long ago stopped hoping for. 
and in her laughter, she holds her pain that she has carried all these years, and she dares to hope again. Sarah raises her head, and she moves forward into the future, into God's unshake-offable love for us and for all people.